This is the New Reconciliation Lectio. For this first Sunday in Lent, our readings contain vivid flood imagery. The familiar story of Noah and the ark comes to mind. But as I discuss with Jim McNeely today, these chaotic waters represent so much more than a physical flood. What does it mean for us to pass through tumultuous waters? Our conversation explores how these scriptures point to the deeper meaning of baptism. Baptism is not just a surface washing away of sins and stains. It is a radical embrace of our own destruction and rebirth in Christ. Join us as we grapple with the darkness and beauty of these Lenten waters. The rainbow of God's promise shines brightly, but we must let the waters change us first. Reflect on what it looks like to live into our baptisms daily sharing in the sufferings of Christ as we walk through this wilderness of life. I hope you'll wade in deeply with us to today's readings and discussion. There is insight to be gained if we open our eyes to the strange fellowship we share in the chaotic wake of the cross. So our first reading is Genesis 9, 8 to 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. It is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The psalm is Psalm 25. Unto you, O Lord, will I lift up my soul. My God, I have put my trust in you. Let me not be ashamed, neither let my enemies triumph over me. For all those who hope in you shall not be ashamed, but those who deal untruly shall be put to confusion. Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me forth in your truth and teach me, for you are the God of my salvation, and you has been my hope all the day long. Call to remembrance, O Lord, your tender mercies and your loving kindnesses which has been from of old. Remember not the sins and offenses of my youth, 
but according to your mercy, think on me, O Lord, in your goodness. Gracious and righteous is the Lord, therefore will he teach sinners in the way. Those who are meek shall he guide in judgment, and those who are gentle shall he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth to those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. For your name's sake, O Lord, forgive my sin, for it is great. Who is the one who fears the Lord? He shall teach him in the way that he shall choose. He shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the land. The Lord reveals his secret counsel to those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. My eyes are ever looking to the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and have mercy on me, for I am desolate and in misery. The sorrows of my heart are enlarged, O bring me out of my troubles. Look upon my adversity and misery, and forgive me all my sin. Consider my enemies, how many there are, and how they bear a tyrannous hate against me. O keep my soul and deliver me, let me not be ashamed, for I have put my trust in you. Let integrity and righteous dealing preserve me, for my hope has been in you. Deliver Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. First Peter chapter 3, verses 18-22 through 22. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And our gospel lesson is Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. In those days Jesus came forth from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. The prayer for the first Sunday in Lent. Almighty God, whose blessed Son was led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan, come quickly to help us who are assaulted by many temptations. And as the weakness of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. It's a good prayer. Yeah. As the weakness of each of us, let each one find you mighty to save. Mm. Yeah. That is the kernel of gospel, isn't it? We're weak, and he is mighty to save. Yeah. I like that language. Mm -hmm. I'm real good at being weak. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
Yeah, we are, we are helpless before the flood. The Noah imagery is very strong in our scriptures this week and in the Old Testament and epistle reading. <laughs> and yeah, we are helpless. It is God's covenant, right? That God disarms himself and in fact aims his bow heavenward. I was, I was listening to a comedian. What was the guy's name? I think it's Ron Johnson or something, but, uh, he told this little joke or story that there was a big hurricane coming and everybody was, uh, everybody was getting out of there, mm -hmm. but this one guy's good shape and I can. I can weather the storm, strapped himself to a tree and just waited for it to come. And the guy said, it isn't the, the wind that is the problem. It's the things the wind is carrying. That is the problem. It doesn't matter how many sit-ups you did that morning. If, uh, you know, there's a Volvo flying through the air, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the problems with legalism and uh, performancism, glory kind of thinking is that we think that we can do enough sit-ups and there's a Volvo coming at us. Whether it's moral judgment or whether it's just the, the calamities and difficulties of living, there's a Volvo coming at us. No matter how good you are at being a really great human being, how disciplined you are or how, how upright you are, it, it's laughable compared to the things that are facing us. It's overwhelming. Uh, you know, and this whole idea that it'll never give you more than you can handle. It's really, well, I couldn't handle my wife dying of cancer. I'm sorry. Yeah. That was completely and totally overwhelming, and I'm still overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, that, that whole rainbow thing, it seems like an empty promise. <laughs> yeah, God, come on. You, you didn't destroy all flesh, but you sure as hell seem like you're going to destroy my flesh. <laughs> well, that's true. And also, it's like, well, he didn't destroy, he won't, maybe he won't destroy all flesh at once, yeah. but he will destroy all flesh yeah. with a flood. Well, now when people die, we won't destroy all flesh with a flood. Not to be uh, blasphemous or anything, but it, it helps to face the problem as it sits there. Exactly. That's the, that's the issue. And so many, when people are asking the question, which is an understandable question. Okay. What do I do? How do I live a good life? How do I get the most out of the time that I have here? Those are very understandable questions, but it betrays a lack of attention to this deeper problem of the destiny of our flesh to be right. dissolved, to be drowned, to be destroyed. And that there is a need not to, there are two, there's two ways of reading the story, right? The incorrect way is to say, okay, great, this rainbow and God's made his promise. And now we can just get on with our lives and not worry about it. We can take for granted God's benignity. And, and get to our self-improvement project, which is what we really want to do anyway. And 
we get God's stamp of approval on the ways in which we think of ourselves and the ways that we want to develop ourselves and present ourselves to the world. Or we look at, there's a deeper drama here that we are, we all pass through the waters and that our salvation, the sign of this covenant is a sign of a covenant that is made ultimately as first Peter gets there in the cross of Christ. And that it is through death that death is destroyed, that our hope is in, in something that is beyond death. And that relativizes all of our like logistical, tactical questions about living, living our best life. And right. that's, that is the interest. That's like the whole purpose and arc of the scriptures is to write that story on our hearts so that as we're passing through the waters, we remember the rainbow. We remember yeah. that, that God's ultimate purpose is not to destroy us, that in yeah. his wrath, he remembers mercy and that there is a bigger story that this is all a part of. And that fact doesn't de-overwhelming eyes the reality of the flood. Yeah. I don't know how it just seems. Yeah. Once this, this switch kind of flips, how do you read anything else? Yeah, yeah. We just the the entire project of the theology of glory kind of thinking is so opposed to the reality that we're so weak and we're human and we're which is a euphemism to say we're so sinful, really. We we really are. And we're also wholly unprepared for the floods that are coming in our lives. I wasn't prepared for my wife to have cancer. Yeah. I wasn't prepared to live my life without her. Yeah. And it's not just this lovey-dovey thing. Our, our practical lives are completely wrapped up with each other. And you can't do enough sit-ups in the world to be ready for any of that stuff. No? Yeah. It seems that the alternative, the world that we live in, is a world where we deny the, the, those realities and we hide yeah. it and we medicalize death and we farm it off to places that are out of sight and we don't have to right. engage with, with that reality. And we can pretend that life just continues on. And if we don't think about it, then it's, you don't have to worry about it out of right. sight, out of mind. Whereas the invitation of the gospel. Actually, this, I think gets into the gospel passage that Jesus enters into the waters and it is in the waters that we hear the voice from heaven and we see the dove descending and his belovedness is spoken in the midst of the chaos and the deep darkness. And it's a complete inversion of what we expect that to enter into the waters is to be destroyed and to be abandoned but that, that we see in Christ that it's, it is there that his, his character and his identity as the beloved son is revealed and spoken. Mm. And from that, and yet from that, immediately, the spirit drives him into the wilderness. <laughs> That's true, man. And this is an essential connection because like we, we tend to take the notion of temptation 
and attached to it all of our sort of venial transgressions. <laughs> and we don't recognize like all of that stuff that we worry about. It's, it's all good life questions. It's yeah. all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. Right. God doesn't care. <laughs> yeah. It's Although I will say, like, I was really, here's something I was struggling with through all of that. I'm coming from this place where it's okay. First, everyone else is going through the pandemic, which I went through, but I went through it having been, had, had being in the thick of trying to figure out a diagnosis for my severe neurological you know, neuromuscular disease. Right. My eyes didn't work. My, I couldn't swallow. Um, I was having trouble breathing. I was on the verge of having to go in the hospital. Um, and the treatment ended up being that I had to take all these broad spectrum, strong immune suppressant drugs in the middle of a pandemic. So finally. I got the right cocktail of medicine figured out, which is still, I'm still doing. And then out of the waters of the flood into the desert of now my wife has terminal cancer and I have to be her caretaker and watch her wither away and die. My God. You know? Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, I get out of that and I'm just like, I don't trust God at all anymore. Everything is horrible. Yeah. Like all he's ever going to do is discipline us all the time. Our entire lives just fucking mean. And that was my view of God after all that. Well, you know, and, um, I, I do believe that he has torn us, but he will restore us. Yeah. The only, the only thing that there isn't tearing that there is also blessing as we understand blessing in this life, like you can't corner God down to either only blessing us or only flooding us. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's the, the language that I've been playing with recently, just in terms of where I am in my own heart of just feeling that paradoxical state of being at the one and the same time, both lavishly provided for by God and completely abandoned by him, <laughs> which is the, that is the state of the wilderness, right? There is the flood, which comes and goes like a wave passes over us and we experience in the darkness something strange and beautiful. If our hearts are attuned to that, we, we hear the voice, which comes from heaven, and often is not audible. It takes some, I don't want to say training, but it takes some attention to hear God's voice in the midst of the flood, who does speak to us of our belovedness. But then the wilderness, this place where, as we see of Jesus, he is tempted by Satan with the wild animals and ministered to by angels. What sort of strange story is this? But it is the story that is at the heart of human 
existence and experience and redemption. Yeah. God in Christ entering into the waters and mm. into the wilderness, thus being with us in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of our experience of bereftness. It's another picture yeah. of the cross in the end. And yeah. it is not a picture of Jesus did it so man up. Deal with your temptations. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You know, that is so interesting. I I have never actually noticed that before in First Peter. I don't know how it's escaped me, but that he's talking about the days of Noah and that eight persons were brought safely through the water. And then he says, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Yeah. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but a, an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Isn't that fascinating that the, the waters of baptism are not cleansing. They're compared to the flood. They're, yes. they're destructive. Yes. They're destroying waters, not cleansing yeah. waters. They are the manifestation of death and chaos and our weakness. That when you come up out of the water of baptism, that, that makes a lot of sense that it, you're being raised from an impossible situation and being saved just like those eight persons being saved through the flood. And it's almost like the, the, the flood is more of a, it's like a sign to point to the more important and difficult reality of being saved through baptism into Christ. Yeah. Because, you know, having a, a big flood come and having a boat is one thing. But having an evil conscience, it, our sins are like scarlet in the sense that you can't launder them out. They're, they become part of the fabric of what we actually are. So the whole idea that you could be, your conscience could be quenched is it's an impossible miracle to ask. Yeah. That actually are the, the baptism of John, the baptism of repentance, the baptism of the Pharisees, of washing away a little venial sin. Yeah, is one of actually, I've been, this is other language I've been meditating with in terms of thinking about my own journey, just like how often I invent for myself little crosses to take up that, yeah. that help me to avoid the real cross that, that I have to bear. Right. And that we just play these games with God. We play these games with, with the scriptures and we, we pretend we do our little show baptism, which is just a washing of the body. Yeah. <laughs> because ultimately, how could it be? How could it be that what God actually accomplishes, means to accomplish in us through our baptism is our destruction? <laughs> that is true. Like that is not who we want God to be. Like that is a repulsive idea fundamentally. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. I'm sick of it. 
that aspect, it's he's going to come into the world and pass through the waters as we did, and then go into the wilderness as we did, but he'll be successful at it all. And then he will fellowship with us in our sufferings. And there's just a huge part of like, that's not the God I want. I want a God who will cause me to avoid all of it. Exactly. I, I want it all. I want a God who doesn't present me with the necessity of having to fellowship in his sufferings. I want to fellowship in the joy and the love and the, the victory fine yeah. and the rapture, yeah. you know, and, and the pleasantness. I don't want to fellowship in the sufferings. I don't want any more of it. I've had enough suffering, man. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying this all is like some kind of theological, you know, properness. I have had enough of the suffering. Right. I am sick of it. I know there's, that's ridiculous. What can you do? That's even that saying that I'm like the guy that thought he did enough sit-up so he could withstand the storm that there's a Volvo flying at me. I'm going to die. But I cannot pretend that I'm okay with it. Yeah. Hand me the hammer and the nails. And I just want to be sure that I publicly display this particular expression of God as being condemned. Yeah. I do not like it. I do not want it. I don't want to go through the waters anymore. No. Had enough damn waters. You know? Yeah. And I'm not, the only way I'm not bitter about all that is that I do believe that as I'm hammering the nails in, he's saying, Father, forgive him. He, he knows not what he does. And raises from the dead, like I can't kill him off. He still loves me. But my identity is not that I serve and love and hope in God and all of these kinds of things. It's that he saves me. Yeah. That's my hope. That's our identity. We're loved by Christ. That's our identity. And as long as people get that turned around, they actually transgress the idea that the son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. Yeah. That's the purpose of his coming is to save us. And for, oh my gosh, I need saving. Yeah. All of the circumstances of life scream that I need saving. All of my own shielded reaction to the circumstance of my life scream that I need saving. Yeah. And we all need saving together. Like we're all in this together in terms of being horribly sinful about that way that we respond to our collective suffering. Yep. And we, and we seek to protect ourselves and in seeking to protect ourselves, we turn to blind, turn a blind eye to our causing our exploitation of others and causing others to suffer. They all too happy to, you know, screw you got mine. Life is pretty okay for me and I'm not gonna, I have no space in my heart for any sort of compassion for you. True. And more than that, I look at myself and my own state of success and I call it blessed, blessedness of God. And I look at you in your 
misery and I say, I bet that guy's really messed up. <laughs> yeah, there's a real sinner. Yeah, and wouldn't be wrong. <laughs> so this is what happens: is like when we, when we have not passed through the waters in this way, the scriptures are a sealed book to us. We don't understand their fundamental message in life that we replace the revelation of God with some with ten rules for living. To have a little bit better life, which will, will which will take you a little bit. That will that will take you somewhere, <laughs> and it creates you. We create communities of people who can at least look like they're keeping the rules. <laughs> and yeah, that's uh, no, I know. And 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 so we play it out over and over of walking in the darkness. And living in the space of our pretense at having our acts together and being effectually holy and being loving, good people. And the whole secret world of our resent and our suffering, it all happens in, in complete isolation. Yeah. And because there's no trust, there's no communal trust in the actual grace and mercy and forgiveness and unstoppable love of God for us. Yeah. And, and so therefore we have to live in this pretense because the only expectation, if you live transparently or authentically, or if you are vulnerable, the only, the only thing that you can expect is judgment. Yeah. You know, and, and we, desperately fear judgment from one another, much less from God under that rubric. And it's so bad that I, I think it's called darkness because we just absolutely cannot face it. We could not turn the light on what's really going on there and, and live. Yeah. It's just way too much. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's absolutely right. And so it's not only that the scriptures are sealed to us, we are completely cut off from God and from one another. And we live in this isolation of our own echo chamber of misery. <laughs> right. And like, that's where I am most of the time. That's where most people are most of the time. And we don't even realize it. Like, how is it that we just go through life and it's emotions, the routines of every day without that, really that connection to that deep story and the deep experience, the reality of our baptism in which we have passed through the water with Christ, right? Yeah. How quickly we may get washing for our venial sins and not our destruction. Yeah. I do feel like that what I've been through with the neuromuscular disease and then my wife's stomach cancer and has been a form of baptism. Yeah. All of that is entirely transformational yeah. in a way that I do not ever want it. I did not want it. I do. Nobody, nobody wants to go through that. And so there is this invitation as we come into Lent to name and claim 
how we are being destroyed by God. And that is, that is the foundation of our fellowship. Yeah. Our sharing in the sufferings of Christ and therefore our sharing in the sufferings of one another as yeah. people who pass through the flood. And like within that, it's not, it's, uh, this could sound rather bleak and cynical. And I suppose on one level it is, <laughs> but there is, there is the rainbow, right? Yeah. There is the, there is, there is something that we see, something strange and, and like actually all, almost in, in terms of its vis visual effect and its uh, impact, like almost completely unrelated to yeah. what destroyed us. And it, it seems almost trivial compared to the depth and the terror of the waters. What is a rainbow? And yet share in this fellowship of suffering. And then there is this ephemeral beauty that lingers over us and that evokes our joy, even as we are like naked and lacerated from the, the saving destruction that has torn us apart. And it is all rawness and strangeness. It is being in the wilderness tempted by Satan with the wild animals and angels. <laughs> yeah. What a weird scene we find ourselves in this life. And to open our eyes to the weirdness of it. Yeah. When we are so inclined to shield ourselves from it and to, to cover things over with the the fig leaves of acceptability, of, of routine, of not needing to engage the deep and the uncomfortable things, the mere washing for cleanliness and not, and not the embrace of the deep waters. Yeah, that's right. Boy, that's good. Mm -mm. Yeah. Thanks so much, Jim. This is a good conversation. As always, beautiful. It totally changed my idea of how baptism works and what it is. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, uh, the destroying waters. My goodness. Yeah. Let's conclude with a word of prayer. Almighty God, your blessed son, Jesus embraced the waters of baptism and the wilderness of temptation. As we remember our baptisms during this holy season of Lent, drown our old selves in the chaotic flood of your mercy and raise us to the new life of your beloved community. Through the one who died for us and rose victorious, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. <laughs>